is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 424, recorded Thursday, March 14th, 2019. Welcome to the program, everyone. We are here to talk about the latest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is, of course, Captain Marvel, <laughs> which has been out for a little under a week right now, uh, and that's all we're going to do today. We'll just change the name of the show to The Talking Captain Marvel. Yeah, why not? Why not? This week in the MCU. How about the that? Yeah, the talking MCU. There you go. Uh, that's not, of course, what we're going to do, but I think at the end we might do a little after hours on Captain Marvel because we've both sure. seen it. And last yep. week I promised that if we both saw it, we would talk about it briefly. So don't like to renege on promises. Very often. Very often. <laughs> what we are going to do, of course, is read and listen to your listener feedback about the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which was called Choke Point. But before that, of course, we have to take a look at the ratings for the broadcast evening for this episode. And I'm happy to report that they're up again a tiny bit. 12.7 million viewers? Well, that would be a significant jump. It would be about <laughs> three times what we had last week. I'll We're not see. there. We are at 4.83 million. Oh, Okay. So it's, you know, so it's last up, week was 4.7 something. Yeah. 4.71. So we're up just over a hundred thousand, you know, not bad. That's still better than nothing. Absolutely. It's trending in the right direction. I um, wish my pocketbook was up a hundred thousand. Oh, totally. <laughs> That'd totally. be pretty nice, actually. Be really nice. Or so. <laughs> yeah. Well, so choke point, 4.83 million, a little bit, a uh, little bit of a change in the right direction. It's the first time in a while that we've had a few weeks in a row where it's gone up. You know, I know we're still kind of hovering around this same amount, but uh, it is increasing a bit, which, you know, might just be a natural fluctuation or word is getting around that the show has been pretty good lately and some people are coming back to it. I think we need to compare the ratings to the amount of screen time the dog gets. Oh, that's an Let's interesting see if that, question. Uh, that makes, if there's any correlation there. Yeah. Uh, everyone loves dog and the more dog, the more viewers. Yeah. Makes sense to me. All right. Well, let's get into our feedback for this week. Cool. Listener feedback. Time to start. And our first item is a call. From our friend Final Harvest. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Final Harvest from Germany again. I just wanted to say how much I love the lighthearted moments in this episode. I loved them so much I actually had to rewind a couple of times. Carol smiling when she tells the highwaymen about the movie, the highwaymen arriving on horseback to Western music playing in the background. Lydia winking at Henry when they stand on the balcony. And, of course, Daryl and Connie. Daryl complimenting her and bumping a fist to her shoulder. I just love those moments. All right, talk to you later. All the best. Thanks for the good work. Thank you, Final Harvest. Um, so the lighthearted moments in this episode, we talked about it a little bit on the recap episode earlier this week. But there were... I don't know if there were more of them than usual, but they did pack a few more into this episode than we usually get. And although I struggled a little bit with the whole Carol movie thing, overall, I think 
I appreciate lighter moments on The Walking Dead because, you know, sometimes they're few and far between. Yeah, you need uh, you need a little bit of that. I mean, even Shakespeare did that with uh, uh, in his tragedies, right? He would have uh, comic relief. Again, you can't be all tense all the time. People would just get upset, like we did in the the, the Negan season, uh, All Out War, when that first started after the killing of Glenn and Abraham. That was all dark all the time, and that was hard on people. Actually, so you got to you got to give them a little bit of levity, just a little bit. No, you're right. And and The Walking Dead has had that criticism over the years in the comic and the TV show and everything that just nothing good ever happens to these people, right? And even when something does, it's so short-lived, you almost you almost forget that anything yeah. nice happened to somebody. I mean, the bad guys get their comeuppance in this show, and that's good, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, at least it's satisfying in that regard. It, yeah, that, I guess so. But bad guys tend to get their comeuppance, but... Even just, I don't know, Game of Thrones, it took a long time before anybody got any real satisfaction out of uh, no. something happening to a bad guy in that fucking show. You know what, though? With Game of Thrones, somehow they've come up with a way so that even when the bad guys get what they want, it's very satisfying to the viewer. <laughs> yeah, it took them six seasons to do it. but Well, yeah, and I guess it maybe depends on your... um. The, wh- who you consider as a bad guy and stuff like that, right? They're all bad guys. Yeah. That's the thing about this show is that in one way or another, everybody's a bad guy. Everybody's a bad guy. Except uh, for that uh, White Walker guy at the end there. Not a bad guy? He's not a bad guy. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, that's true. Well, the other thing I wanted to say is you're absolutely right. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the season after um, Glenn and Abe with, with Negan because I... At Walker Soccer Con that year, moderated a panel with uh, Chandler Riggs and Caitlin Nacon, um, right at the beginning of season eight, I guess it was, and uh, or was it seven? I don't know. Whatever it was, and and anyways, I had I I asked them about getting through that um, sort of really rough, kind of difficult, depressing time, and if if there was a a difference to filming now that they were in a period where things were a little bit lighter and some good things were happening. So I think everybody could feel that a little bit. Um, and even they said that, although there's not that much difference on set because it's all pretty fun and everybody likes each other, you know, and yeah, they're and, just actors. It's not real to them. No. And it's, and, and they're just actors. Exactly. I don't um, say that they're just actors, but they're actors. They're acting. They're having, you know, it's their, that's the job of their lives. They're, they're having a great time. Yeah, well, I you got to think it's pretty cool, but I I just meant that like we could all feel as viewers and everything, even us that are very close to the show could feel that it was a little lighter and a little happier. And yeah. now we're in an era where it's much lighter and much happier at times. It's like playing video games. You you load up a video game and you have a grand old time because it's uh uh you know, it's a nice video. I'm thinking just like the, the casual games, right? You're having a grand old time, like playing a nice casual game. It's, there's fun music. There's lots of bright colors. You're doing stuff. Things are smashing and flashing and you're having a grand old time. But then you ask one of the developers what it was like building that. They're like the fucking shit I had to go through <laughs> to get that goddamn thing on the screen. It's the complete opposite, mm-hmm. right? So uh, <laughs> you just have to think, you know, sometimes... Uh, you, you don't know, you don't want to know how things are made like laws and sausage. Yeah, I guess, I guess you just, don't. just enjoy the sausage and don't think about it too much. <laughs> it's probably good advice. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, next we have an email from Chelsea in Boston. I really like Lydia, and I can forgive Henry's stupid actions on him being a horny teenager, but I'm sick of how the show seems to be so centered around Henry this half season. There are so many other characters, Tara, Aaron, Eugene, even Jerry, that I would be much more interested in seeing more of. Characters that have been around a lot longer. Hell, I love to see I'd love to see more Judith and Negan scenes. But Henry is not a compelling main character to me, and I look forward to when his story arc ends or fades into the background. We've been getting lots of Carol recently, which I appreciate, but The Walking Dead is starting to seem more and more like a teen soap opera each week. Ooh, that's uh, that's kind of harsh. Now, I want to point out here that Henry has taken over the role of Carl, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. That's what's happening in the comic you know, a lot of these events played out in the comic, but it was Carl and Lydia instead of Henry and Lydia. Carl is not on the TV show anymore, so now we have Henry. And dare I say that... Oh, so that is why uh, Henry is so infatuated with um, Enid. Because yeah. Enid and Carl had a thing, but that's not, that's not a thing anymore because she's off with What's-His-Eyebrows and now... Uh, so this stuff with Lydia was happening with Carl in the comic? That's right. And Enid's not in the comic. So uh, yeah, right. Right. I didn't know that. Why would I know that? I didn't read the comic. No. Before. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So Henry is filling in for Carl. And I was going to say that, you know, I'm thinking that um, uh, Henry, the actor, what's his name? I forget his first name. His last name is Lintz. He is maybe not quite as good as Chandler Riggs was. Uh I don't, I'm sure there are people that will disagree with me on that, but I think that might be what it comes down to. I'm not so sure it's the material. I think it might be Henry. Sorry, Well, he Henry. was cast for a specific role before Chandler ever was going to leave the show, right? He was cast as uh, kid number five or whatever, but his role has expanded into what is, what is going on right now. So maybe he just wasn't properly cast the, all those years ago. Well, but no, all those years ago, it was young Henry. The old Henry has only been around after Carl was killed. Right? And, and yeah, young, he point. young Henry was played by his little brother in his real life. Oh, that's brother. why I was confused. Yeah. Like, how the hell did he age so fast? Okay, well, let's just skip all that. I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's okay. We, people understand. <laughs> well, they know. They, they know. It's, it's not a surprise. Oh, they know. That's right. Uh, anyways, uh, so it's so happening. maybe he was miscast, you know, recently. Yeah, more more recently. That's right. But he's filling <laughs> right, in then. for Carl, and comic readers, I think, might have a hard time sort of separating those two things. Right? You see that's going playing out on screen. You think that should be Carl, but it's not, and it's Henry instead. So I don't know. Uh, it it is a little teen soap opera y sometime, but I don't think they've gone too far quite with it yet. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of this will all be wrapped up by the end of this season. Well, yeah. At least right. this part of it. I mean, we might have the uh, the whispers kicking around for a while, but once Lydia and Henry die, then uh we can move on. We can move on. That's right. Plain and simple. It, it's Romeo and Juliet, right? Uh it sure seems like it, and we all know how that turned out. Yeah, not very well. It's not a love story. It's not a love story. <laughs> no, it's definitely a tragedy. All right, Andy in uh, Gloucestershire, UK writes, I'm confused. 
Didn't Daryl and Connie leave the hilltop to rescue Lydia because they felt bad that they'd given her back to the Whisperers against her wishes? Why then, as soon as they'd rescued her and Henry, did Daryl initially say that she couldn't come back with them? What was the point of rescuing her then? Well, wait, didn't they just leave because they found the note in Henry's room? I was going through Henry's room and I found this note. Yeah, they found the note. Uh, Connie found it, showed it to Daryl. And so I think Connie and and Daryl had slightly different goals for the rescue. Daryl went out to get Henry and Connie went out because she said, I can't live with sending Lydia back. So she kind of went out to get Lydia. Right. And she's been pushing for keeping Lydia around ever since. And Daryl was pushing to leave her there because he doesn't care about Lydia as much. He just wants Henry back. So I think it all makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Right. So that's that's what's going on. Since then, uh, Daryl has come around to um, feeling something for Lydia. And that may be because he can tell that Henry feels something for her. No, it's because he feels something for Connie. He's like, I have to listen to her. Mm. So she'll be interested in me. You could be onto something there, or it's a combination of both. Could be. Or he's just coming around. I mean, people can change their minds, right? It's even, not against the law or anything. Even Daryl, he can change his mind. Yeah. If he had to. <laughs> if he had to, right. <laughs> All right. Next, we have an email from Cindy in Columbus, Ohio. I feel like they introduced the highwaymen to kill them off at the fair, so they don't have to kill too many of the primary characters. So don't expect them to stay around too long. Except for maybe Ozzy, because they gave him a name. Well, if there's one thing I know, any character that has a name is paid more and tends to last a little bit longer. Right, because they have a story arc. Well, yeah, they have a name. And um, if they have a last name, it's even better. Well, that you know, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm going to bring up uh, uh, Masterclass, because I've been reading, I've been watching the Aaron Sorkin uh, Masterclass. Yep. And he was talking, he was sitting around with a bunch of writers and, uh, or, you know, writers, people that wrote spec scripts and he was going through the scripts to just talk to them about it. And some of this, uh, one of the spec scripts had, uh, characters, uh, by description, like this character by description is doing this in the background, like unnamed characters, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Sorkin said, whenever you're done your script, go back and give everybody a name. That way the actors don't think they're, well, don't come up and say, I'm playing uh, policeman number seven. Like, you know, I'm playing Henry or, you know, Frank, who happens to be a policeman that doesn't have a line, but give them a name so that they, uh, you know, you don't want to insult the actors. So I would think that all of these people, uh, all the characters, they have names. We just don't know what they are. Yeah. So all of the highwaymen have names and they'll slowly be revealed when they're killed off. Yeah. At least. Maybe they'll give him grave markers. Oh, his name was Joey Jojo. Ah, <laughs> that makes sense. Sure. Poor Joey Jojo. Joey Jojo Shabadoo. Is that his name? That's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was from the Simpsons. Simpsons reference from the first four seasons. Oh, that's old. Well, there you go. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the highwaymen are killed off at the fair. Although we don't really know any of the other highwaymen, right? We We saw them briefly in this episode, but... I could see them being killed off in some problem at the fair and not even realize it was them. Like we have no connection to them yet. Well, they also look like they were, they raided a costume shop and they each decided on their character's costume. Like we had the cowboy and then there was another guy that was holding a rifle that was in uh, like uh, some kind of 
Civil War garb. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Right. So I think uh, I think maybe that they're they're costume junkies. Maybe they're actors. <laughs> yeah. Well, costume junkies is fine. They just like to dress up in fancy costumes. Yeah. Because if it's an apocalypse, what else? Uh, what are you going to do? You know, you find a costume shop. It's like, you know what? I need a shirt. I might as well go with a cowboy shirt. And if we're going to get a cowboy shirt, I might as well go full cowboy. That's get true. The hat, the boots, chaps, the whole shooting match. Because you just look stupid if you just had the shirt. Yeah. If you just wore a cowboy shirt, that'd be dumb. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's or, the apocalypse. Who, who's going to say anything? Who cares? You need you need uh, clothing. Who cares? If you find a costume shop, you might as well put it on. One of my kids' teachers years ago had an Eiffel Tower costume. So, you know, nice. in the apocalypse, you wear what you got to wear. Yeah, you stay warm. If you got to wear a Barney costume to stay warm, you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And then get eaten by zombies because you can't run away fast enough. It'd be funny though. <laughs> <laughs> be extremely funny. <laughs> yeah. So at least uh, die with, as comic relief, if you have to. If you have to. All right. Next is Kate in San Francisco. And Kate writes... Didn't at least one of the highwaymen wonder when Carol asked them if they wanted to see a movie, which movie they would be going to see? I mean, what if Carol confessed it was Leprechaun 3? <laughs> I have to I have to admit that I've never seen Leprechaun 3, so I can't really comment on the quality of the uh, film. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it makes a difference. That's why I thought that she was offering them porn. <laughs> because who would right? turn down porn? Yeah, I mean, you, you could name a porn, but who would really know? I guess. I mean, I guess there's some consideration of what the movie is when you're deciding whether or not seeing a movie is a good enough bargaining chip. But, uh, you know, maybe just any movie would be fine at this point, 10 yeah. or 8 years into the apocalypse. I can't imagine Leprechaun 3 would go over really well with the kids, though. It's a horror movie, right? I, I assume so, yeah. I haven't yeah, seen it either. Yeah, well, it could be with, you know, uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up, so maybe it's about St. Patrick's Day. Maybe we should watch it for St. Patrick's Day this weekend. I don't think that's going to happen. No? All right. I don't, well, first of all, I don't believe I own Leprechaun 3. Uh-huh. And I've never seen any of the Leprechaun movies. And why would I watch the third one if I didn't watch the first two? And I'm not about to subject myself to that. I mean, you are a bit of a completist, so you have to watch the whole series in order from the beginning. I understand that. Yeah, that would, so it's a, it's a big commitment. It's not just like, hey, let's watch Leprechaun 3. It's like, no, because... Well, how will I know the leprechaun's backstory? <laughs> it's very important, I'm sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right, next we have an email from Andy in Extremely Blustery UK. Okay. So are we all in agreement that the scene where Carol defused this new threat, in quotes, with an offer of, hey, do you want to come over and hang out and watch a movie, is the worst scene in the history of the show? Surely it is. Is it? Is it the worst scene in the history of the show? I don't think it's, I didn't think it was bad. Yeah. No, it's not the worst scene. I've, I can think of like seven worser scenes. <laughs> um, I, I agree. I don't think it's the worst scene in the history of the show. The, look, I got one. I got the worst scene. You remember in, uh, I think it might've been season three with the governor when he went and uh, went to the military encampment and those people were falling slowly in the background. Do you remember that? What do you mean falling slowly in the background? They were, it was like a slow-mo shot with glorious music playing and the soldiers were like following, falling uh, dead in the background. It was just, the scene was just so god-awful. I remember complaining about it 
way so back th- when. This was a group of military guys that they came across in the in the in a clearing in the forest, right? And that's right. Yeah. And the governor and his men took them out. Yes, uh, easily like, snuck up on them and took them out. Yeah, I saw. I remember that, and I remember you disliking it immensely. Yeah, because it was just too easy, right? Well, no, it was the scene was just so badly done that uh, it it was glaring. Ah, uh, okay. And then the van not uh, flipping over properly. That's pretty bad. I was going to mention that one. The the van falling off the bridge um, was pretty bad. And there's there you know there's been other examples of weird Walking Dead physics and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, Daryl's brother Merle. What's his name? Merle stepping on a head one time and it squished like a Nerf football. Like a Nerf football, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> Those are just more technicalities. But as far as scenes go, I'd have to go with that governor one. Yeah, maybe. But this one, the difference here is this one involved actual dialogue yeah. and something important to the story, right? Because you took a, a very serious situation and diffused it with a very strange approach a strange line that was just kind of weird who's scruffy looking like that a little bit like that yeah (laughs) exactly so i can see why andy is feeling this way um and and i find it difficult to compare this kind of thing to the van flipping over you know it's yeah it's it's a little bit different um i don't know A, a lot some of the cdc stuff where like the you know, the Center for Disease Control in the finale of season one had the big talking sci-fi computer. I mean, that seems pretty dumb now when you, when you think back on it. Um, I should go back and watch, rewatch all those seasons. Well, I really, I feel kind of weird that I haven't gone back and rewatched everything. I've seen Game of Thrones like seven times, but The Walking Dead have only watched each episode like once or twice. Right. You've never gone back, you know, months later and rewatched it. Yeah. If I watch an episode twice, it's twice in a row before doing the podcast. Yeah. Well, the thing you will notice first off is how young everybody looks. Like yeah. when you compare Andy Lincoln season eight and nine to season one Andy Lincoln, it's like a different guy. Yeah, that's true. You know? I would I would think that. I mean I look at I watch Love Actually every year and he, he looks like a twelve year old in that show now. Oh, I know. Really? He totally does. He's he's really became a scruffy looking man, you know, later on in Walking Dead. But gloriously, I mean, gloriously, it, it works. Yeah, it does work for him. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I, I I don't know when this is all said and done. This show someday in the distant future, we can look at the whole thing, rewatch it all, and then decide what <laughs> the worst scene in the history of the show is. I'm not sure that this one qualifies. But, you know, I don't think it's uh, weighed down the list either. Let's put it that way. Okay. okay. Well, I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I know. Fair enough. Because, I'm, like, I'm, you know, I, I firmly believe that, hey, do you want to watch a movie after six years of not watching movies? I would want to watch a movie, and it would win me over. I'm, I'm not even that picky. I might even watch Leprechaun 3. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Again. So I was, I was kind of on board with this scene from the get-go. All right. Well, our next couple emails here are sort of the other side of this argument. And the first one is from Anna in Wales. And Anna writes, what a pleasant change the interaction with the highwaymen was. One smile from Carol and everything was fine. Amazing what you can do if you actually talk to people and act like humans. I hope they continue to be good and don't become antagonists in the future. 
I'm glad the stupid risky mission to the cinema paid off down the line. That's true. And, but I kind of, uh, man, I kind of agree with Cindy from Columbus that, uh, these, uh, these highwaymen just might become meat bags to be killed off in the next couple of episodes. And that would make me kind of sad. Yeah, they, I mean, I agree with you. I have a feeling a lot of them might not survive, including Ozzy, even though he has a name, but. People with names have died before. Oh, plenty of times. Actually, I think everybody has a name. Who Everybody who's died died has a name. Yeah, you're right. Pretty much. I mean, some, some people didn't, and that's sad. Well, there's, there's the odd background actor that even they probably had a name. We might not know what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Does that count? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> maybe <laughs> alright next we have an email from James in uh, Blind River near my hometown I found the highway highwayman's introduction and recruitment to be a much welcome twist in the series when Ezekiel carried Carol Jerry etc went to confront them I was ref- ready for yet another bloody showdown given the apprehension they built up in the minutes before Carol's way of charming them over was uh, performed masterfully and even the premise uh, even if the premise was a bit silly Gotta love these elements of subtle humor in season nine. Seeing the high women come to Tara and company's rescue was awesome to see. I hope nothing bad befalls them. <laughs> as an aside, I wonder if uh, it was a stunt double posing as their leader as they were charging towards the walkers. The guy's black cowboy hat seemed purposefully tilted to hide his face. Well, it could have been. They they do use stunt performers for all kinds of things in this show, obviously. Um, and I was wondering, you know, maybe that guy who plays Ozzy doesn't know how to ride a horse. And so they have to put a horse rider yeah. on to, for, to shoot the horse scenes. I don't know how to ride a horse. No. And, but you might learn if you were cast in a role if where. I was an actor. Right. I'd probably learn how to ride a horse because I'd want to be in a Western. Of course. Maybe Ozzy or the actor is currently or back then at the time during filming taking horse riding lessons but he wasn't quite ready yet so in the future he'll be riding a horse but for now they use a stunt double you know in the same way that uh if you don't know how to do lots of things you someone slots in for you sword play exactly yeah stuff like that and it's the same thing with uh with jesus in the first scene the first episode he was in he uh, had to wear a wig because he hadn't had chance to grow his hair out yet the beard actually the beard he had the fake beard it was not his hair. Um, actually, maybe the hair as well. But I, I remember talking to him about um, having the fake beard early on until he grew it himself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you grow a beard with a fake? Having to wear a fake beard would well, that be tricky? I, I mean, the hair, the beard hair doesn't stop growing under the fake beard. <laughs> no, I know. But how do you get it to stick to your face if your face is full of hair? Oh, come on. These makeup artists have uh, are geniuses. They have all kinds of amazing techniques. Ah, uh, staples. Staples, yeah, okay. right. Staples, okay. And that kind of works sense. in the Walking Dead zombie apocalypse. You know, a couple of staples yeah. in the face, no one's going to battle. You've got a, a, you know, you got a six inch beard there. We need a 12 inch beard. Uh, we're going to have to stick this 12 inch beard to your face. We're going to have to use staples. I'm sorry. Yeah. Live with it. And here's your $200,000 paycheck. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will take the staples, please. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Ellie in Brisbane writes... I enjoyed your discussion about introducing some kind of marshal, but can't believe you didn't immediately recognize Negan as the obvious choice, especially as he currently has nothing to do. 
He would be the perfect fit for this role, bossing everyone around and wearing an official leather jacket to boot. Either that, or it has to be Judith, because she pretty much already uh, has the whole outfit. I also think a showdown between Negan and Beta would be awesome. Well, they can't give Marshall, they can't give the job of Marshall to Negan because he's a prisoner. You don't give Marshall the Marshall job to prisoners. It goes the other way. Like you imprison marshals if you have to, or uh-huh. most likely shoot them. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I, I, you're right, absolutely, that I did not consider Negan, but I don't think that that's a viable solution. And Judith is a bit young, even right. though she has the outfit. Okay, but what are they going to do with Negan? I know he wasn't a part of this episode, but he's in jail. He's there kind of stirring the pot a little bit. Oh, there's your answer. <sighs> he's going to be a chef. <laughs> no, doesn't he have to eventually get out of jail though and either contribute to the community somehow or be a shit disturber in the community somehow? Like one of those things has to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, and he's going he's going to get out and he's going to become a chef. He made spaghetti for uh, Judas and Carl before, right? Mhm. Uh he's known for cooking and he's a, he's stirring the pot like you said. So uh he's going to become a baker. Slash chef. He's going to be the, the cook in the new diner that they're building. <laughs> Sounds like you've chef. got it all figured out. Yeah. Okay. They're going well, to call it Nick and Norman's. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun. We've been there. Have you been there? Oh, they're going to call it Nick and Negan's. No, I haven't been there. Oh, you haven't been there? I forgot. Yeah, I've been there a few times, but you haven't come down. Man, you got to get down there again and go there with me. I, I would like that very much. It's a fun I place. I remember we did, go to, uh, we did go to a restaurant there and I had, a, I had some great breakfast grits. But uh, I would like to go to Nick and Norman's. Yeah, yeah. We're, of course, talking about Sonoy, Georgia, where they shoot a good portion of the show. Nick and Norman's opened a few couple years after you and I were down there. Yeah. And I've been twice or three times since then. Um, It's a nice place. So let's pencil in a plan to go again together. It is penciled in, my friend. Awesome. All right. Next, we have an email from Dan in Durant, Iowa. Dan writes... I think Earl was trying to unhitch the horses. The reason, just like they did in the season opener when they were coming back from the Smithsonian, is to allow the horses to get away from the walkers. If those horses, if the horses are still hitched to the wagon, then they're they're an easier target for the walkers because their movement is limited. Also, if the horse gets spooked and takes off, the wagon is likely to get damaged or completely wrecked. If the horse is free, it will likely get away and be tracked down and reclaimed later. Right. So you were talking earlier this week about why, um, about the horses and being, and unhitching them, but I think it makes sense to unhitch them based on what Dan in Durant, Iowa is saying. Yeah. Except that, uh, he was saying, I'm going to hitch the horses. Because an actual line. I know. Because he had previously unhitched them. Right. I thought you're. Well, that's why they unhitched. Oh, I see what's, what's happening here is they're talking about, I was wondering why the hell would they unhitch horses? And Dan is telling me. Dan is telling you, that's right. Okay, I get it. Yeah, and um, and that's why, yeah, exactly, because <laughs> it makes but sense. But he says, Dan says, yeah, I think Earl was trying to unhitch the horses. Okay, may, maybe maybe that's a, a typo or an autocorrect problem, but I think this what happened is they stopped, they unhitched the horses, and then Tara said, while we're fighting off these zombies, rehitch the horses so we can get the hell out of here, out of here. And you yeah. were questioning, why would you unhitch them in the first place? And I think Dan lays out some good arguments for doing so. Yeah, except I think that Dan is saying, I think the opposite, <laughs> that uh, that Dan is saying that 
he, uh, that uh, Earl was trying to unhitch the horses because the zombies were attacking and the horses they needed the horses to be able to get away. Well, now I'm just confused. Okay, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I thought I What show I, are we watching? I yeah, I went into this email thinking this clears everything all up, but clearly <laughs> made it worse. <laughs> now I'm not even sure what happened in the episode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm no I don't know where I am, what's going on. Uh Dan, let us know what you meant, but um my take is what I said. I think it makes sense to unhitch the horses when you're stopped because if you get attacked and the horses bolt, they're not going to take the wagons with them. And they have a better chance of getting away if they do run. Yeah. So they, I, I agree with that, except that they showed up at a roadblock, right? And yeah. my first thought is, this is an ambush, you stupid idiots. Don't go, oh, if there's a tree in the road. Let's unhitch the horses and have a picnic and we'll slowly move this thing out of the way after a few hours of right. rest and relaxation. Right. It's like, no, fucking Stop. Scout the area and make sure this isn't an ambush before you slowly move in and go around the goddamn tree. Got it. Okay. Well, there's all kinds of interpretations then, and we are no closer to an answer than we were before. Right. (laughs) Next up is Robin on our Facebook page writes, Did Beta survive the fall because the elevator car had some give under him when he landed? Yeah, well, there was no cables, right? There was nothing holding the elevator up. So what was holding it up then? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I got no idea. This is a pretty weird elevator actually, but uh, no, I didn't see any cables. There was no cables. I think it was, maybe the cable snapped and it had already hit the floor and uh, like on at the bottom of the elevator shaft mm-hmm. and at the bottom of the elevator shaft, there's some big ass springs. I don't know if you know that, yep. but there's some big ass springs down there. So maybe it was sitting on those springs and he bounced a little bit. Maybe he could have... Uh, You know, if he landed right, he would have bounced right back up and be able to continue his fight with (laughs) Daryl. That would have been hilarious and straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. But (laughs) um, either way, maybe the elevator did did have a little bit of give. So when he landed on it, some of the shock was absorbed and he wasn't quite as injured as badly as we, you know, he should have been. Yeah, I I just, I assume he's, he's an unkillable hill giant and we move on. There's also that, yeah. Um, yeah. it's going to take a lot to kill that guy due to his yeah, more than falling down uh, three stories onto a, uh, a nice soft elevator, a nice springy <laughs> elevator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought it was a decent, you know, take on an explanation as to why he wasn't just immediately dead, but so it could work. Yeah. It could work. Yeah. It's like falling down and landing on uh, a pile of pillows. Everybody You're likes probably that. probably not going to die. No, probably not. <laughs> or a pile of boxes, because they use boxes for uh, for stunt falls, right? Mm-hmm. They're better than an airbag in some situations. So maybe falling onto a pile of empty boxes is the right thing to do. Big pile and of cardboard empty boxes. Yeah, it's, it's maybe, basically air anyway. Maybe the elevator is exactly the same thing. It's just a big box made out of metal <laughs> instead of cardboard. <laughs> Not so sure that works, but hey, <laughs> I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have a call from Gemma in South Wales. Hi guys, um, this is Gemma from South Wales. Um, I normally write in, but I thought I'd be brave and give it a go, uh, phoning in this week. Um, I'm just going to give some feedback on this week's episode. Um, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, of course, I'm going to talk about Beta and Daryl. Like That was an amazing fight. And I really thought for a second that Daryl was in trouble, <laughs> especially when 
better puts him on top of the saw thing i was like oh my god if i didn't know that norman reedus was being paid 20 million dollars to do the show then i would definitely thought he was gone for a second but i liked how then he used his environment to change um you know the outcome of the fight and got the best of better for this episode anyway um the baby again caused me total anxiety because like i said i just had a baby and i didn't understand why they again they were bringing this baby out of the hilltop to the kingdom because i just assumed the other week that earl and tammy rose would be having that baby but i guess that wasn't the plan but i, I kind of just thought putting the baby in unnecessary danger just to kind of get tammy rose and maybe earl to the kingdom because I kind of don't have a really good feeling about what's going to happen to Tammy Rose after this episode especially she she got in some really good walker kills and that was great but I kind of think they didn't really need to be on the road and then go into the kingdom in the first place but I you know I'm not positive about the outcome overall with the whispers of that one okay <laughs> thank you bye thank you Gemma first of all thank you for doing a recording this week instead of just writing in. We love to hear your voice. And uh, I mostly wanted to play that because of the, the her comments about the baby and why would they bring the baby on the road trip to the fair? But what they revealed in the episode is that they were bringing the baby to maybe find a home or find parents for the baby until yeah. Tammy decides to keep him for herself. Right. They're going to the fair to, so that they can set up a booth and sell the baby. It's a trade fair. They're going to try to trade the baby for something good that they want. Yeah. It's, and maybe, maybe there's a baby contest. Like, uh, like they have prize pig contests at the, uh, at fair, various fairs. You raise mm-hmm. a nice pig. You think, I, I think I have the best pig in the land. I could bring the pig to the fair and then they can give it the first, first prize, the blue ribbon. So maybe they're bringing the baby for, uh, a prize. As far as we know, know, we probably have the best baby at the fair. I don't see why we wouldn't get the blue ribbon. As far as we know, there aren't any pigs at uh, the kingdom anymore, or we haven't seen them in a while. So, yeah, why not do a uh, baby contest? Yeah, they're they're bringing the baby to the fair to find it a home, right? And then they and they were and they smartly brought a a trunk with holes drilled in it Mm -hmm. because that's how you keep uh, babies and frogs alive when you need to transport them. You can learn a lot about uh, parenting from how you keep frogs alive, I'd say. Yeah, but don't watch that. <laughs> you ever watch that WKRP episode where they have uh, oh. uh, Herb shows up with the, his daughter's frog? I've seen walks? all the WKRP episodes. <laughs> uh, Greenpeace was the name of the frog. <laughs> he, he painted a pig in it, the pink, and it died. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. <laughs> that was a great. They're all great episodes. They're all great. I love it. It's good stuff. Anyways, <sighs> I wish the original WKRP episodes with the original music were available. I'd pay good money for that. Yep, but apparently nobody else will. No, I guess not. All right, thank you, Gemma, for writing that in. Next is a call, no, an email from John in Connecticut. John writes, As we've seen in the past, humans covered in Walker gore are pretty much invisible to walkers for a period of time. They are essentially wearing a cover scent, not a disguise. So why is it that whisperers just put on what looks like a bargain bin mask and poof, they are invisible? You can see the mask is pretty clean. When they take them off, there is nothing on their faces. Sure, they're kind of dirty, but it's dirt, not blood and guts. So we see more lazy, tired writing. 
They are changing the rules to suit a storyline. How do you feel about that, Jason? Uh, I can't necessarily disagree with it, but I'm just trying to think of humans. And humans are better at sight than they are at smell. I, like the stench coat is one thing. Like, and if you walk like a zombie, people are pretty dumb and they go, oh, I assume you're one of me, mm-hmm. right? You look like me, you smell like me, you walk like me. I think you're okay. Whereas now it's, they're doing everything but the smell and humans don't have a fantastic sense of smell. Some people, like I personally have a bad sense of smell for a human. Like, like even as humans go, I've got a bad sense of smell. Uh, but I think humans have a bad sense of smell compared to like wolves or dogs or, you know, other animals that have a much better, sharks even. I don't even know. Do they smell blood? Uh, I, I assume I, they smell blood. I think they do. I've heard that. Yeah. So they can smell it from a long way away. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think this, and, and, and the whispers probably smell bad. Like oh, yeah. the zombies have Body odor? I don't think they have body odor. They're more smell like rot, but maybe they can't tell the difference between body odor and rot. Maybe not. I'm wondering if maybe it really ultimately comes down to sight mostly anyways. You know, if you cover yourself in gore, you more or less look like a zombie, kind of. I mean, they're not necessarily covered in gore. They have their own special look, but you're closer than like a healthy looking human. So maybe it's the visual more than the smell anyways that the zombies uh, go for. So when you wear zombie masks and you walk like a zombie, that's enough to fool them into thinking that you're one of them. And the smell has less to do with it. And like you said, the the, the, um, the whisperers probably smell pretty bad anyways. So it all works in their favor. And when we had living characters putting on the stench coat in previous seasons you know we kind of went with oh they smell bad that's what it is but maybe it's mostly the way they look maybe that well that's my question now is uh did the show tell us it's the way they smell and that's why uh the gore the gormaflage worked or did we just start calling it stench coat and assumed that it was the smell that uh that was able to mask them I, what's what's his name? Nick from uh, Fear the Walking Dead covered himself in like in gore to walk mm-hmm. around, but it all dried, right? Well, so it probably stopped smelling after a while. I think that I have a feeling that The Walking Dead kind of at very least implied that it was the smell early on. I think Fear the Walking Dead went with, no, it's the visual. And that's why Nick used to really cover his face in blood, right? Yeah. You know, Nick really put more on than the characters in the walking dead did. So the shows took sort of slightly different approaches to the same thing here. Um, but now maybe we've come around on walking dead where it is more the visual and it's not as much the smell. So just wearing the masks will do the trick. Yeah. Did we assume that it was the smell or did they tell us or did they imply it? So I'm going to have to go back and watch each and every episode from each and every season just to be able to tell for sure. Yeah, I I can't say 100%. I mean, the first time they did it was way back in, I mean, it was season one, right? It was season one, yeah. When um, they they chopped up that zombie in that warehouse, and then Glenn and Rick walked out amongst them, and it started raining, right? I'm pretty sure if they didn't explicitly say, we'll smell like them, 
when they were chopping up the zombie and putting it on, it was clear to me that they were disgusted by the smell. And that's enough to imply that it's the smell that's going to um, fool the zombies. So, I don't know. Maybe. And again, maybe they are retconning a little bit here. <laughs> they probably no. are. I mean, shows have done that in the past to, you know, change the rules of the universe in order to fit the plot line. Mm -hmm. No, it's certainly not the first time. And uh, it, uh, for some reason in this case, it doesn't bother me that much. Uh, but again, rules are rules and they should stick to them if they can. Well, yeah. But then again, you know, my personal philosophy of uh, consistency is the refuge, refuge of the weak-minded. Mm-hmm. But then again, I get really mad at television shows and movies when they don't remain internally consistent. So I'm not consistent in even in my thinking of that particular thought. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> did I make my point or did I just prove it wrong? I don't know. Good it's question. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell on a good day. <laughs> All right. So next we have an email from Elizabeth in Newcastle, UK. It made a lot of sense. <sighs> It made a lot of sense to me that the Whisperers allow any of their people who get bitten to turn and don't give them the mercy head stab. It feels like a natural end to their way of life. It makes me wonder how many zombies they walk around with that were once their loved ones and family members. Yeah, I just I thought this was an interesting question to think that that the Whisperers are walking around with zombies that once were living members of their community if you can call it a community yeah. because that's probably a thing, you know, they, they revere them in a way and they call them guardians. And so why not when somebody in your group dies, let them turn into one of those. It's almost like the next phase of existence within that community. So it's kind of a neat thought. I thought. Yeah. What could be more, uh, not relaxing. What's the word I'm looking for, for, uh, what could be more soothing, than uh, having your beloved sister or brother die and then uh, being able to walk around with them for years afterwards and watching them slowly rot. Yes. What could possibly be wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these are the whispers we're talking about. I'm not sure they, uh, you know, have it all together upstairs. Uh, no, they, well, I mean, they kind of do, Right. Like they like they have a philosophy and they're sticking with it. Yeah, you have to give them credit for that. Mm -hmm. I suppose that's. I true. mean, they're crazy, but a little bit. You know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> at least they're consistent. Consistently crazy. Uh, next here is Wayne in Petaluma, California, USA, and I just realized, Jason, I'm not a hundred percent sure on how to pronounce this word. So help me out. Holy crap! Jerry carries a falchion. Yeah, it's the type of sword. Fal Falchion or Falchion? Falchion? Look that up while I'm reading it. Holy crap. Uh, Jerry carries a Falchion. These are a 13th century version of a machete. They are a weapon used to hack your opponents to pieces. They were a shorter, lighter blade carried by bowmen and other men-at-arms who were not mounted. Do you have an official <laughs> pronunciation on that? No. All right. Well, the pronunciation is, uh, I can, it's, it's got letters that don't even look like letters. It's an old French fauchon. Okay, well, it, that's Sickle. weird. I thought this would be the kind of thing you knew. <laughs> this seems like right up your alley, Mr. D&D. Oh, God, there's all kinds. There's so many different medieval weapons. If if, if it's not in a D&D &D book, 
from the eighties, then I probably don't know what it is. If it's a halberd or a 10 foot pole or a long sword or a short sword, I'm fine. Or even a scimitar or a Chris, but, uh, not a fucking falchion or it's not. <laughs> anyway. It's, how, how does the dictionary expect me to learn how to pronounce a word by putting a bunch of letters that aren't even letters well, that's what they do there. It, it's describing the sound rather than the, uh, than the letters anyways. Well, they should spell it phonetically then. Sure. <laughs> F-A-L-C-H-I-O-N. It looks like Falchion, but it's, I think it's Falchion or Falchion. Falchion? I don't know. Anyways, it's the type of it's sword. French. Wayne seemed to be pretty excited about the fact that, uh, Jerry carried one of these things. And just the fact that it's a, you know, old version of a machete used to hack your opponents to pieces. I think it. Works pretty well for the zombie apocalypse in that case. It, that, yeah. And uh, it's French. Like machete sounds French to me now. Machete. Yeah. <laughs> machete. Machete. That sounds French. Yeah. Oh, it probably isn't, but whatever. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Next, we have an email from Brian in Lynn. Is that Massachusetts? It is. All right. Good. I don't know my uh, short forms of all the states. Make well, it up as I go along. You should go anyway. to elementary school in the U.S. and they'll teach it to you. That sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Brian writes, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys are totally right that no one in the history of the world has ever been hit by a table saw falling down an elevator shaft. <laughs> Again, just an interesting comment that's probably true. It's not impossible. Like, it's definitely within the realm of shit that might have happened, <laughs> but we don't have any way of proving that it did or didn't. No, but I think Brian's right. We would I would be surprised if that has actually ever happened because it feels like the kind of thing that has to happen on purpose. Not really. I mean, construction sites have elevator shafts and construction sites have table saws, right? <laughs> and some table saws, even the job, especially the job site table saws are on wheels. So it is within the realm of possibility that that's happened. An unsafe work site because the wheels aren't properly stopped. Uh, and the elevator shaft is open and something that is on wheels can roll through it. They don't have a barricade of some kind. So obviously it's an unsafe uh, work site, but there are unsafe work sites. Think of the 70s. They had table saws in the 70s. They had elevator shafts in the 70s. They did not have proper safety standards in the 70s. <laughs> I think this shit might have happened, but I can't prove it. So it probably didn't happen, but you have these things that, are in the realm of possibility that they're in the same place at the same time. So this shit might've happened. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hard to say. It's hard to say. Definitely hard to say. Interesting to think about. If, you ever, if you've ever come across a story where this has happened, let us know. Cause I'd be interested. <laughs> totally. I should talk to my uncle Brian. He, or uncle Dougie. Uh, uncle Dougie was a construction worker for a very, very long time. Not the guy that fell three stories. It's a different uncle, but uh, he, he has stories like this and he's a storyteller. He would know. Well, I'm going to call him. Find out. Call him and ask him if this is a, this ever happened to one of the sites he was working on. It happened to him. If this ever happened, he cut his thumb off in a radio alarm saw one time. <laughs> oh my God. Because he was like super hungover. <laughs> they sewed it back on. It's fine. <laughs> Dude. I mean, oh, between you and your uncles and probably the rest of your family, you have lived many lifetimes of... Accidents and hilarity. Oh, yeah. In the after hours, before our actual after hours, I'm going to tell you the story of the time my Uncle Dougie shot himself. I've heard this story. I have a feeling it might 
have been told on the podcast before. Oh, okay, yeah. He it, hit, a, hit, a, hit a bullet with, it, a hand, with a rock and it went into his leg. Yeah, yeah. It could be worth telling again, though, so I don't know. Uh, let's save it. Dougie. Let's save it. Dougie's the best. <laughs> um, let's see. Then the last few emails here are a little bit more general or about not specifically about this episode, but I thought were interesting nonetheless. So quick one here from Bobby in New York. Bobby writes, just a quick thought about Alpha's accent. It sounded like a Virginian or West Virginian accent to me. I believe there are certain areas that sound exactly like she does. So okay, it's good. not really a Southern accent. It's more Virginia. Um, so it, it works. And, you know, we were wondering about that last time. Yeah, there's a lot of accents that I don't recognize. Oh, plenty. Plenty. I think uh, there's scholars that can pinpoint where you grew up in England within 25 miles by your accent. I think so. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah, but uh, not in Canada. It's like, well, I grew up in uh, Barrie. It's like, well, I can tell by your accent. No, that's not a no. thing. That's but if not you, a thing here. But if you said, I grew up in Newfoundland, you can usually tell. Uh, sometimes, yeah. You know? The, the the Newfoundland accent is rather distinctive, I think. Yeah, and very entertaining. <laughs> and very entertaining. <laughs> That's a diplomatic way of saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So next we have an email from Ellie in Brisbane. I don't know if you've already had feedback about this, Chris, but in the last episode you talked about the scene with Dog, Daryl, and Connie in The Broken Arrow. Apparently this was actually a mistake as Dog was supposed to give give it back whole, but he snapped it at the last minute and they kept it in, including the reactions. Thought you might like to know, as you probably haven't had time to check your Norman Reedus fan page in a while, being too busy. Well, Ellie, I check my Norman Reedus fan page multiple times a day, uh, but I did not know that that was a mistake, which, you know, is kind of fun. Dog, that is fun. Dog got a little overzealous, broke the arrow, and, you know... Gave it back, and they kept the Norman Reedus reaction in. I think I love that stuff, you know? Yeah, that stuff's great. It's it's good. So thank you for pointing that out. It's one of those fun little things I like to know. Okay, our final email here, Jason, for the night comes from a listener from West Virginia who did not want to be identified because this has to do with our questions of what is a cult? Are the Whisperers a cult? And how do we even know this is a cult anyways? Um, so not going to say this listener's name. And in fact, I've edited this email a little bit to remove some more what I thought were specific details about this listener's experience. And I've actually changed the name of the cult leader that they wrote in their email so as not to give anything away and just keep it as generic as possible. And I was thinking... If I'm going to use a name for a cult leader, what name should I use? And I didn't want to just pick something because that would be someone else's name. So I decided to go with my own name. Okay. I'm and, surprised you didn't go with my name. Well, do you want me to go with your name? No, no, it's fine. All this right. is fine. I decided to go with my name in place of the actual cult leader's name. So uh, I thought that was most appropriate. Anyways, this listener from West Virginia writes, Hi, guys. In last week's feedback episode, you asked if there were any cult experts listening. I might be able to help. I spent about a decade living on a commune in West Virginia that was a spin-off cult from the main group. This group was like the Whisperers in so many ways. Chris, now if you'll remember, that's the cult leader's name, not mine, led through intimidation and fear, 
preaching that only he knew the right way to live, that the rest of the world was fully corrupt and flatly wrong. Like Alpha, he was not leading a death cult. Comparisons to Jim Jones aren't really accurate. He, like Alpha, was able to convince people that the normal way of living wasn't working and that they were establishing a new society based on how we, as humans, were originally supposed to live. The Whisperers are absolutely a cult. As Chris led his group, Alpha leads hers. Chris wasn't a strong man, but he had muscle and lots of it. He ordered murders, ran an entire organized crime ring, and was able to shuffle child abuses off to India when it got too hot. He, like Alpha, condoned child abuse as natural. If people had issues with it, he would make an example out of them by very publicly shaming them or kicking them out after robbing them of all they owned. If they challenged his rule, his muscle would deal with it, which included at least two, but likely many more, murders. I was there when Chris was overthrown. He fell due to his due to his own hubris and reckless actions, and yet still many of the people who followed him continue to do so. Incidentally, Negan and the Saviors were sort of culty as well, but he was more concerned with colonizing and creating an empire. The Whisperers are a totally different thing, though it remains to be seen if the show will recognize that. I think it's important that they do. Jesus. So that's pretty crazy shit, and that's why I wanted to you know, keep it as generic as possible because there's some just bizarre stuff in there. Um, so listener in West Virginia, I am glad you are no longer part of this thing that you got yeah, out. No and kidding. it seems like the, you know, this whole thing was dismantled to a certain degree, uh, despite saying there's some people that still follow this guy. But, um, you know, the point is that what we are seeing of the whisperers isn't that far off from this listener's experience in real life in a cult. So um, I think maybe we can say that the whisperers on the show are, if not cult-like, full-blown cult, uh, you know, as it... Culty. Culty, yeah, cultish. They're culty. Cult-terrific. So, yeah, I appreciate you sending that in and sharing your story with us, and I hope you don't mind that I changed everything to not make it traceable back to you or anywhere near you. <laughs> yeah. Geez. Okay. So, uh, my whole thought about uh, people not being, not wanting to follow Alpha because she wasn't being a proper leader is completely out the window. It all has to do with, uh, personality rather than leadership quality. Yeah. Fear, intimidation, ordering murders, you know, just all kinds of horrible, horrible things. So yeah, pretty bad. And, um, Hopefully the whisperers get what's coming to them someday. Absolutely. And I, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, not you, the, the listener that wrote in the email, Chris, uh, that, uh, the, the show should deal with this. Like they don't just like pass it off. If they're going this far to make uh, the whisperers seem like a cult, they should absolutely, uh, have that play into how the story plays out. Yeah. Reckon with it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, thank you, listener in West Virginia, for sending that in. And that's it. That is our last item of feedback for the night. Now, we are going to do a brief after hours uh, in a minute to talk about Captain Marvel a little bit because we promised and I want to. So we'll stay tuned for that if uh, you're interested in hearing it. Otherwise, though, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on the send voicemail link at the top 
and you can send us a message that way. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead and send all your emails in to us at Talking Dead Podcast at gmail.com. So if you don't stick around, we'll be back next week when we recap episode 14 of season nine of The Walking Dead. By all means, go look up the title for that and record a title read. Send it into the email address. We'd love to get lots and play those on the recap show. Um, and we're we're getting close to the end of the season here. It feels like the second yeah. half has just flown by. We're going quick. So um, looking forward to uh, finding out how this all wraps up for season nine. All right, that's going to be it. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Stay tuned for the After Hours if you want to hear about Captain Marvel. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. Alright, Jason. It's time to talk about the latest episode, movie, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Captain Marvel. Now... Is this going to be spoiler-free or spoiler-filled? It's going to be spoiler-filled. I was just going to say okay. that we will likely spoil this movie, as we typically do when we talk about films. So if you haven't seen Captain Marvel and you're worried about spoilers, please, please, please turn us off now. Go see the movie, then come back and listen to this bit if you would like. Yeah. Um, I might even spoil uh, Battlestar Galactica. Okay, well, that's happened on this show before. Uh, so no one should be surprised about that. Um, but there could, you never know, there could be spoilers for, you know, other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies coming up as well. Um, we'll try our best not to do that, but. How can we do that? We'll try our best not to do that. <laughs> but Captain Marvel for sure. How, do you, uh, how would you do that? I can't do that. You yes, can't. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to spoil the shit out of, uh, everything MCU. We're going to talk about movies that happened in the past. We're going to talk about movies that are happening right now. We're going to talk about movies that may happen in the future. Well, I, are we? I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't know. How can we spoil the MCU? Like, I, I don't know. I don't understand your thinking. So you're saying we shouldn't do that? No, I don't know how we can. You've not seen any future movies, have you? No, but you can spoil a movie. Like, if I start talking about the end of Avengers and uh, Infinity War, that's a spoiler for Infinity War. Oh, that's what well, that's not. That's not a movie that hasn't happened yet, though. I didn't say we're going to spoil a movie that hasn't happened yet. I'm going to say if we mention the event end of Infinity War and you haven't seen that, that's a spoiler for you. And because all these movies are related in a way, it might come up. Okay, and we may argue. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, or maybe just have a misunderstanding. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> whatever, man. Let's talk about Captain Marvel. Okay. We might spoil it, so turn us off. We're going to spoil it. Don't want to spoil hear it. everything. Okay, fine. Jason, you saw Captain Marvel on almost opening day. I saw it the next day, and what did you think of this film? I thought it was great, just flat out excellent. Any 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 way you like to expand on that? I thought it was great too. 
So no I really like the um, one of the, my favorite things about this movie was that Captain Marvel didn't need to be saved in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we've seen uh, heroin-led movies where uh, Tomb Raider, for example, the tomb, the new rebooted. I'm going to spoil that, by the way. This rebooted Tomb Raider with Lara Croft. She is an absolute hero in all of the video games and movies that uh, that she's been in. And then in this latest instance, she had to be saved at one point. And that pissed me the fuck off. <laughs> and so in this movie, she absolutely did not need to be saved. She was absolutely the, uh, the person that saved everybody else, including uh, uh, Nick Fury, saved his ass a couple of times. So... Uh, yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. I liked everything about it almost. Um I thought it was a I thought it was a wonderful movie, a great entry into the MCU. I thought Brie Larson was excellent. Yes. You know, I'd seen her As always. Well, as always, I'd seen her in Room and um uh a couple of other films, but I really liked Room. Oh man, what was was <laughs> this makes me look stupid. Was she the the actress in Another Earth? Was that Brie Larson? I don't think so. Oh, damn it. All right. <laughs> I tend to get my actors confused sometimes. Uh, Let me look up another Earth. All right. Do that. But anyways, Brie Larson was great in this movie. Britt Sent- Marling. Oh, Britt Marling. It's close. You see? Sorry. So not the same person. <laughs> um, Samuel L. Jackson, also really good. You know, as usual, you kind of come to expect uh, greatness from that guy, in my opinion. Um, but... The film, it had a lot to do, this movie, and I think it did it all really well. You know, we had to introduce this new character in Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers. We had to give her a satisfying origin story. We had to fit this movie into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think it's interesting to think that a movie that comes this late into sort of the progression of the MCU is way more difficult to fit into it than movies that come earlier on, right? Because there's just so much more material that it has to jive with. And I think they did a really good job of fitting it in in a satisfying way. Um, Not only that, but it specifically has to fit in with Avengers uh, Endgame, which is the Avengers movie coming out in about five or six weeks. What, 10 minutes from now? Good God, I'm excited for. Like... I'm it, watching that movie is one of the most important things in my life right now. I want, I wish it could happen right now <laughs> because I'm so yeah. excited for it. Um, but, but all I'm trying to say is- We have is, to see it opening weekend. Is that what you're saying? So that we don't get spoiled on it in any way, shape or form? To, have to. Like I'm going that Thursday night, I think. The, the only right, problem book is- the tickets. I'm with you. The only problem is my kids are really excited for it too, because they're very much into the Avengers now. And- Well, that- I need you to said this is, this is the most important thing in your life, so lie to your kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see it together on the weekend. Sure. That'll be your second or third viewing, whatever. It, it might be by that point, yeah. They'll be asleep. You won't, like, on Thursday night, you'll go after they go to sleep. Just don't tell them. Yeah, good point. I didn't, what'd you do last <laughs> night, Daddy? Nothing. <laughs> they never asked that. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Their kids are too self-centered to ask that. And they probably assume I was podcasting anyways, but. Yeah. Um, oh, Thursday night, yeah, podcasting. It is, but by then Walking Dead will be over, so we can take a night off to see Endgame. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, Captain Marvel had to do all these things, and I think they did them all really, really well, and yet the movie stands on its own as a really satisfying, entertaining movie full of good performances, exciting action, and um, satisfying comedy. 
you know? Yeah. It was good, good comedy too. And Agent Coulson was in there. I really like me, my, like my Agent Coulson. Good old Agent Coulson. Yeah. He was good to see. Um, so, so it was really, really fun. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. And you're right. Captain Marvel never had to be saved. There was no ham-fisted, like, love story built into this movie. She was nope. just, you know, herself. The most, the deepest connection she had with another character was her best friend, another female character, mm-hmm. which is, is wonderful. And I, incidentally, I think she was great, too. I don't remember that actress's name, but uh, she played an important part. Um, and uh, just everything about it. I thought it was really, really good. It was good. And I liked the fact that it took place in the 90s. Oh, which God. Which is uh, always good, kind of fun. We had 90s music. I like me my 90s music. And uh, I'm just a girl when she's playing, or when she's doing that big fight at the end, uh, by no doubt. One of my, one of my favorite songs yeah. of that time. Now, I did. It was a little on the nose, but that's okay. Well, yeah, I heard, I listened to another review of the film, and they were really hard on that music choice because it, they felt that it undercut a lot of the things that the movie was trying to say about being, being strong. And, and, you know, Captain Marvel was constantly being told she's too emotional. And that's the kind of thing movies have said to women over and over again. It's like, you're too emotional, be, too emotional to be taken seriously or to, to do anything. And then they put in, I'm just a girl as the song. So I can see where they're coming from, but at the same but time, sarcasm, I'm sort of with right? you. I, was, I mean, what did, what did, did they miss the sarcasm point of that song? Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Are you saying the song is sarcastic or the song's use in the movie? No, the song is sarcastic. Is it? Yeah, it's Gwen Stefani being very sarcastic. I need, I can't be on my own. I have to hold your hand Uh and go through life because I'm just a girl. It's absolutely sarcasm from the get go because it's Gwen Stefani for crying out loud. And no doubt it's, uh, it's like I really like, I've always liked, um, female led rock mm-hmm. and i've 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 always i've liked no doubt since way back then and i've listened to that uh and that's one of my favorite songs uh by no doubt and that and the drummer can't help but get naked every time he plays on stage he just <laughs> he starts off clothed but by the time the show is over he's naked <laughs> he must be hot come on <laughs> yeah absolutely but it's it's just funny he just he can't seem to keep his clothes on oh, but well. Um, don't know anyone like yeah, that. The, the song is absolutely sarcastic and that's the point of the okay. song is that, uh, you know, isn't it ridiculous that the world still thinks this way? Well, that's a different take on it. And I don't know the song well enough to go either way, but this other podcast I was listening to didn't have that reading at all. But if that's what the song is about, then it does make some sense that it's included in the film. Well, that's why I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm glad you brought that up because I sort of you know, trusted in their opinion of it, but you've yeah. come with well, the That's what opinion. I meant by it's a little on the nose in that, that sarcasm. It's, it kind of does make that, uh, a light of that, not light of that point, but it kind of, uh, you're absolutely right in saying that the, the movie went, uh, to say that, you know, you're too emotional. I didn't see that as women are too emotional. I just thought that the, you're too emotional and your emotions are getting the better of you. I think that's a general human problem because it's aliens talking to a human about this shit. And I kind of figured out she was human from the get-go. But uh, that song, uh, being sarcastic, I'm Just a Girl, was a little too on the nose for uh, it being a uh, an empowering movie. Right. 
right? right. I, I thought that it could have been a little more subtle than that. So that was, I, I do like that song. I think it's a, it's a good song. It's a powerful song. And it meant what it was supposed to mean in my eyes in that scene, but it was just a little too on the nose. It was, sure. It's not that I didn't like that. It's that I just thought it was a little ham fisted. Sure. But that's okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, otherwise though, I think the music was really great. I mean, the, the, the nineties are my decade, man. And yours too, I well, guess. Yeah. Like wearing not- a nine inch nails t-shirt. I mean, come on. I know. It's great. It, it was awesome. It was, it was fantastic. And, um, you know, earlier on she has the guns and roses t-shirt on, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. all music that I identify with, I did, you know, my formative years were the nineties in that decade. I went from 15 to 25. So that's some pretty, you yeah. know, big years in a young person's life. Um, but I really enjoyed that. The other thing I think this movie does or shows is a certain amount of cinematic maturity. And what I mean by that is it's it's a superhero comic book movie, but we are now 10 years in to the Marvel Cinematic Cinematic Universe and we get this story that is non-linear, involves kind of weird memory flashbacks, It starts out in outer space in a totally unfamiliar place, yet it all manages to bring it all together really well. And I think if this film had come out eight or nine years ago at the beginning of the MCU, I don't know if it would have done as well because one, people might not have been quite ready for it. And two, they would have looked at this and gone, what the hell's going on? Where, like at the beginning of the film, where are we? Who are these weird people wearing green suits and what the hell's happening? But but I think Marvel has gotten to a point where they can do a movie like this that's nonlinear and tell the story in an interesting way. And people completely yeah. buy in because they are comfortable with the universe that's presented in front of them. Yeah. I mean, uh, the MCU has, uh, you know, introduced a lot of these, a lot of the this information previously, right? Yes. Aliens exist. There's uh, the, the Krull. Krull? No. Yeah. Krull. Krull? That's yeah, the name the, of that movie with that guy with the spinny thing with the, isn't that anyway, uh, the crawl, uh, the what's his eyebrows, the destroyer, he was in it. Like they've introduced <laughs> the this con a lot of these concepts and even the specific characters previously. So uh-huh. it was like you say, it was a, uh, it's a lot easier to buy into this uh, now than it uh, than it was that it would have been way back when. Yeah, but uh, absolutely. But I'm also just sort of saying that. I think Marvel has gotten to a point where they can they can do this kind of thing and do it well um, when they might not have been able to do that, you know, even five years ago, right? Right. Yeah. When you think back to, you know, Iron Man, the first of the MCU movies, I guess it's Iron Man, like it's a pretty straightforward origin story. And, yeah. you know, it's point A to point B to point C, I am Iron Man. and this movie's not really like that. You know, you, you pick up in the middle of Carol Danvers's story and then have to go back and be shown all kinds of things that happened to her in her life that all culminated in her getting to where she is. Yeah. So I agree with that. I think it was. I like that with, uh, Annette Benning was in this. Yeah. I missed Annette Benning. I haven't seen her in a long time. She was great. Looked awesome with that, like silver hair and yeah. stuff. I think the last thing I actually saw her in was uh, American Beauty. Oh, man, that was uh, a long time ago. It was a long time ago, and she was such a bitch in that movie. 
uh, and so like over the top annoying and shrill, but she was supposed to be. And I think uh, she kind of left a sour taste in my mouth after that movie until, uh, I realized, oh yeah, she's a fantastic actor and she did that on purpose. Yeah. It's like watching Tom Cruise in Rain Man. He was such an asshole in that movie. And I hated Tom Cruise after that movie for a long time, but it's because he did it on purpose. Right. Well, <laughs> he was supposed to be an asshole. He was. And it worked. It just, it, it, uh, I didn't realize that for a long time. I hated that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, because I know people are probably sitting at home pulling their hair out right now. It's Cree, not Krull. Right. Cree. And Thank the other, you. the other I, ones are the. Krull's the movie. Yeah. That's, right. That's, and the, the other ones are the Skrulls. So you can see why it's a little bit confusing. Oh, the Kree and the Skrulls, yeah. yeah and then yeah. there's uh, Drax the Destroyer, not Drax the Destroyer, the, the the guy that was the bad guy in uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, well, Drax is in Guardians of the Galaxy. I know, I know Drax is in there, but the guy with the with the, the headscarf and uh, what's his name? He shows up at the end. Okay, well, whatever. You can look that up if you want. Whatever, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Overall, anyways, I mean, I thought Captain Marvel was really great. Her, you know, her whole, her whole motivation wasn't, um, sort of kicked into motion by her suffering earlier on in life. And ultimately what Captain Marvel wanted to do was find a better life for this alien race that she thought she was at war with during the first half of the film. I think that was really interesting too, you know? Um, and I think it made for, I don't know, it just made for a, 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 an interesting or a different take on, on a character like this. Normally this kind of character, you know, suffers some hardship and they're, they become what they are because of that hardship. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of story, but you know, she becomes Captain Marvel and her whole goal becomes righting a wrong that is really been a revolving around some someone else's hardship. You know, yeah. it's it's very uh, outside of herself to do that kind of thing, right? She sees the suffering in other people and wants to help them. So I thought that was a great motivation for the character too. It was really good. Yeah, no, it was good. And she just doesn't, uh, she's not one of those, uh, you're the enemy and so I must kill you. And that's the end of it. She actually thinks along the way mm -hmm. and changes her mind about what is right and what is wrong. It is. So it's so, good. Not like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator. Like they never really had a, you know, a really heart to heart by the end of that movie. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger just like, you're the enemy and I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. You know, granted Predator was pretty one dimensional as far as characters go. Mm -hmm. It didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, sympathy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my favorite scene in the movie was uh, a sort of a quick montage that we get at one point in the, in the probably final third of the film, maybe, you know, towards the end there even more, but it was the scene where we see, we've already seen a bunch of her memories growing up on earth and yep. we've seen her, you know, get knocked down and, and, suffer some hardships as a child and at all different ages. And then there's a, there's a montage where we see those scenes again, but we see her getting back up again. Every yeah. one of them, she's standing back up again and the movie presents it in such a way that, um, it's human nature to get knocked down, but get back up again. And it's saying she's 
human because of these of of sort of that uh, ability in her to to get back up again and continue the fight. So I thought it was really really well done. It was my favorite bit in the whole movie. It, it was, and they presented those scenes like those scenes were always about. <clears throat> people saying you can't do it. In every one of those scenes, there was somebody saying, you're not going to, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do this. You're going to get hurt. Don't do this. You're, you're not worthy. That kind of stuff. And it's all, uh, every, every one of them was presented as a failure, right? So she tried to do something and it didn't work. And they, they, they kept hammering that home through the whole movie. And then that scene you say you is the same shots, like the same, uh, scenes in the that happened to her life the same memories but they're all shown at the end of that she's getting back up mm-hmm. and is is not dissuaded by uh by the by being knocked down or not being able to do it that particular time yeah they turn them into triumphs instead of failures right yeah i thought it was really really nicely done and uh contributed to everything that sort of turned her into captain marvel and then for her to and then just when she fully embraces her powers basically at the end or fully is able to execute her powers. So badass, yeah. <laughs> like just unbelievable. The, the suit and the way she can just fly through space and like carve through spaceships and is unstoppable. Really? Yeah, like, she's uh, very, very powerful, extremely, extremely powerful, but so so cool i mean it was just an amazing sort of finale to the film um and then the way they explain how all this happened and then you know she's not the way they explain how she's not a part of all the other stuff we've seen up until now in the marvel cinematic universe what i thought was really good you know she she leaves the galaxy to go help this other alien race but leaves Nick Fury with the intergalactic pager for emergencies yeah. only. That's good for a couple of galaxies. Right. Distance wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. Come on. It doesn't use typical standard. No, she says that it's good for, it'll, it'll reach a couple of galaxies, maybe two, three galaxies. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Page me. <laughs> but I just me. like that. I like that. It's like, you know, why hasn't, if Captain Marvel has been around since the nineties, why hasn't she just snapped her fingers and solved all the problems that we've had in the MCU up until now? Well, it's because she wasn't around. And well, why Fury hasn't Nick hasn't Fury, her? you know, enabled that pager before now? They were invaded. New York was invaded by aliens. Multiple times. <laughs> and then uh, friggin' what's his eyebrows? Jarvis uh, turned into uh, that robot guy. Uh, Vision. Not, Vision. Vision. And yeah. that movie where the uh, fuck, brain is not working anymore. Robot bad guy. Uh, Ultron. <laughs> Ultron, uh, when he shows up and starts lifting up that, uh, that whole city, why didn't Nick Fury go, you know what? I think Captain Marvel might be, uh, you know, needed. You know what? We don't know for sure that he didn't try to summon Captain Marvel before. And maybe she was indisposed or out of range. Who knows? Like, there's lots of room here for Captain Marvel sequels that take place immediately following this movie. That yeah. that could explain why she wasn't able to respond to Nick Fury's pages before now. Well, maybe she didn't think it was important until she realized that half the uh, half the universe had died. Right. She said emergencies only, and like this, this is a solid emergency. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just noticed that half the people everywhere just died, and uh, and now, now Nick Nick's Fury's paging, paging me. me. I yeah. think I might go talk to him. Go see what's going on down there on. Uh, Earth, or why I forget what they called Earth. It was 
something 57 or 52 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Some backwater place that's mostly harmless. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, that doesn't really bother me. We might find out more about why she he didn't try sooner. Maybe he did. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. So I might actually go see the movie again this weekend. Uh, because one of my kids, only one of my kids have seen it and the other one wants to see it now, especially now that she's heard that it was amazing. Um, so well done, Marvel. Well done. I applaud you on your, your Captain Marvel introduction to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Awesome. You know what my favorite part about the Nine Inch Nails t-shirt is? What? Trent Reznor. (laughs) Yeah. I really like Trent Reznor. And then David Bowie wrote a song called I'm Afraid of Americans. Yeah. You remember that song? In the video, he's being followed by an American. It's Trent Reznor. Is it? (laughs) I mean, I I could see being afraid of that guy. (laughs) It's so awesome. (laughs) Pretty good. Uh, Anything else about Captain Marvel? I mean, the the mid, the post, well, the mid credit scene was amazing. It was one of my favorite ones that they've done. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, I liked the end credit scene. I liked uh, learning how Nick Fury uh, lost his uh, lost his eye. Yeah, I I thought that was a a tiny bit um, underwhelming. Like he gets scratched. Well, by it was a supposed cat. to be. I mean, the for ten years now we've had Nick Fury with an eye patch, not telling anybody what happened. The last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. Yeah. Is what he said in one of the Avengers movies, and uh, well, you know, I trusted the kitty cat. You know what? Speaking of the cat, that was the only part of the film that I didn't really like. Really? The cat, I'm fine with. I like cats. If it, if it was just a cat, I would have been completely okay with it. But it wasn't. It was some weird tentacle alien that was masquerading as a cat. And I dislike tentacle aliens. It's not a tentacle alien. It's a living portal to a null dimension. What? No. I it, looked it up. I was like, what the hell was that cat? It's a... Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, that's why it was able to swallow the Tesseract because it didn't actually swallow it and ingest it. It actually transported it to a, another null dimension that it's a portal. It's a living portal to a null dimension. And then the joke at the end was it barfed it up because all oh, cats barf and my cats barf. Yeah. Barf. Yeah. I, I, if they I, barfed up a Tesseract, that'd be okay. That'd be fine. Um, you might want to call shield though, if they do, but yeah, uh, yeah I give them a call. But one eight hundred, come get this damn tesseract. <laughs> yeah, one eight hundred, go for shield or something like that. <laughs> uh, no, I the the joke at the end I thought was nothing more than that, just a joke about cats. But okay, whatever the cat was in the film, there was one or two scenes where I don't know something comes through the dimension and it's tent, it's a tentacle alien, and I don't like aliens with tentacles. My least favorite part of uh, what was it? It was, um, the force awakens, I think, right. When Han Solo is transporting wrath tars and they're these giant, stupid tentacle aliens. I didn't like that either. They were beholders. I, they? no, they were giant, like weird tentacle eyeballs. aliens with uh, well. eyeballs. Yeah. I don't See, like I saw that. them as beholders, not as tentacle aliens. Well, I don't even know what a beholder is, but it's a big eyeball. Okay. Well, no matter what, I think it's stupid and I don't like giant tentacle aliens. And so when the cat did that in this movie, I'm like, oh no, this movie has been perfect until now. Why do you have to put a tentacle alien in here? That's just a personal preference. That I know that. wrong, by the way. No, it's not. It's not wrong. I think it's a little bit dumb. I think they could have made the alien, I sorry, made the cat into some other kind of alien and it would have been fine with me. 
uh, or I would have been fine with it. Uh, but that didn't work for me. And I, you know, once I could forgive it, but I think the tentacle alien came out a couple times in the film. Like a pan-dimensional mouse of some kind? A pan-dimensional shade of the color blue. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Uh, so anyways, but other than that, love the movie. Going to see it again. And uh, I sure hope we didn't spoil it for anyone, but we warned you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm I'm planning on rewatching all of the movie, MCU movies in order uh, before the uh, the next Avengers movie comes out. Avengers Endgame. Just watched the final trailer for that today, and oh boy, am I excited. Okay, so here's my problem. Uh-oh. is that That's coming out in like five weeks, right? Yeah, towards the end of uh, April. Okay, do you think Captain Marvel will be in the theaters three weeks from now? I think it will be, yeah. Okay, good. Because I can. what I can do is I can start tonight and watch Iron Man, and then I can start and plow my way through... In the next couple of weeks, there's a lot of movies to get through in the next few weeks, mm-hmm. but uh, I want to end it by watching Captain Marvel again before the new Avengers movie. Well, there you and go. I'm, I'm worried that I won't be able to plow through all these M3, MCU movies and watch Captain Marvel again before the movie comes out. Okay. Well, I, I'll bet you, I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere in theaters still in three weeks from now. All right. Maybe. Well, I better watch... Uh, Iron Man and uh, the Incredible Hulk tonight. Yeah. Get right on that, man. Get, yeah. <laughs> Sleep is for the weak. Watching movies is better. It's for the awesome. See, this is why the uh, the Highwaymen, maybe this is it. That they're watching, uh, you know, do you want to watch a movie? And right after that scene cut away, uh, they said, what, what movie? And she said, uh, Avengers Infinity War or whatever. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Why not? They're like, shit, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. We're any, shit, well, that didn't come out until like after the zombie apocalypse by like five years. Yeah. That's amazing. If The Walking Dead started in 2010, which I believe it did, that means that pretty much only the first Iron Man was available at the time anyway. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. You want to watch Iron Man? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's a great movie. <laughs> Can you imagine what the world would be like if... You know, the, the that there was a whole bunch of movies like Iron Man that all knit together and culminated in some awesome uh, Infinity War type movie. <laughs> but that didn't happen. Instead, we had a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. What a bummer. bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad that we uh, live in a world, Jason, where the MCU is like, what is it, 30 movies deep or something? And we have it to, to uh, make our lives Should better. Have. Are there 30 of them? That's no, I don't know how many there are, but there's a fair bit. <laughs> MCU movies. How many are there? How many are there? List of Marvel Cinematic Film. Okay, we have phase one, phase two, phase three. Oh my God, 3.9. So that's uh, six plus six is 12 plus nine is 21. Okay, that's a fair number. Um, but since we've devolved here into you searching and reading the internet, I think we can probably wrap it up. Yeah, probably. We will uh, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye.